We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. I'm Moj Madara. I'm the CEO of BeautyCon. I'm a three times baked entrepreneur. I'm an investor in early stage startups. I'm a parent, first generation Iranian American, born in Lexington, Kentucky. I think women are often charged with having to have a much higher caliber of perfection. And so figuring out how to be communicative without the perceived whiningness that you get, figuring out how to like communicate powerfully is a really important thing for us. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Moish Madara is CEO of BeautyCon Media and a leader in the LGBT community. She explains what drives her to be a serial entrepreneur in the digital and media industries. So Moish, you emancipated from your parents when you were about 16. So would you tell us how come you decided to do that? Oh my gosh, my parents are gonna be bummed. (laughs) They know. I think I saw that movie Poison Ivy and I was like, wow, you can emancipate your parents. (laughs) It wasn't just that I saw that film. You know, like, my parents are, they're first generation, you know, Iranian-American. They came here in the late 60s. They did not know how to raise a queer Iranian-American daughter. Um, I think they really struggled with my um, queerness, my gayness. Um, I've never been able to pass for straight. Um, So they were confronted by that. And, you know, I think when you're gay, you really work hard to try and fit in and I think at some point I decided I didn't want to fit in. So I became really into music and culture. And so, yeah, that was really tough for my parents. You know, Hassan and Giti did not move to America to be separated from their families, to work multiple jobs, to put their kids through school, to put themselves through school for their daughter to move to this, you know, be in this country. And and in their minds, I was um, undermining the very fabric of what my opportunities could be. And so I think they tried very hard to discipline and uh, coach me out of who they thought I was choosing to be. And so at some point it became clear. I think a lot of people become quite emotionally distressed at a young age. And for me, what became clear is to take care of my own mental and emotional well-being that I needed to be on my own. What advice would you give to women who feel like they just don't fit in? I mean, I think everybody doesn't fit in. I think everyone feels like they don't fit in. I think that there's no one I've ever met who says, you know, I I just feel like I always fit in. Um, I think part of the human condition is that experience of not fitting in. And I think, um, like, as a society, normalizing some of these moments better, I think, will help people in general. I think people need to know that it's okay to feel uncomfortable, awkward, scared, fearful, anxiety, stress. I think that... Um, moving into a culture where there's more transparency and acceptance around the bad days as much as the good days, I think, um, is a really powerful thing. And I, and I think that's, what's been really great about social media is that it's really opening the doors to, um, you know, people being a lot more transparent about the highs and lows of their lives on a day-to-day basis. So for women, you know, I think women are often charged with having to have a much higher caliber of perfection, right? Um, and so... Um, figuring out how to be communicative without, you know, the perceived whiningness that you get often. You know, you're like you're whiny or bitchy if you talk about your feelings. 
uh, women get that. I think figuring out how to like communicate powerfully is a really important thing for us. How did you figure that out? Um, trial and error. I think I have good days and bad days. Some days I'm awesome at it. Some days I'm not. Um, I try to surround myself with people who are honest with me. Um, I have an amazing partner and wife who's brilliant and smart and I mean, she's like, you know, has a PhD in the history of consciousness, so she can understand my brain. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think being being with uh, there was I think uh, uh, Shonda Rhimes has this great quote. I want to say it's Shonda Rhimes, but she says that you are the sum of the five closest people to you. So be very mindful of who those five people are. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I heard you started your first business with money you got from a car accident. Is that right? It is. Yeah, wow. I got rear-ended while I was delivering food on the 5 freeway off of McFadden Boulevard in Santa Ana. Um, I used to deliver, this is like pre-obviously Postmates, I would like deliver people's food and sometimes even snack the food out of their TGI Fridays, uh, <laughs> oh tater tots and stuff. Sorry. I was always clean I about didn't it. Notice, yeah. <laughs> and uh, this old, this older gentleman in a Cadillac just rear-ended me terribly, um, and uh, you know I had really um, bulging discs in my lower oh my back, and um, yeah, I got a it was like a thirty thousand dollars settlement, of which I got eleven, and with that eleven thousand dollars, I moved to LA. Wow. And so how did you figure out what type of business you wanted to do? Because I know several of our listeners are thinking about having, starting their own business. So Mm. what advice would you give to them? I thought about all the things I'd been passionate about in school. So at that time, I was very passionate about Napster and media and digital media and um, thinking about where the internet was going to go, thinking about where content was going to go, And so for me, um, media and content were like always very interesting and something I was very passionate about. Um, So I always knew I was going to work in media and content and somewhere between media, content and technology. Like it was those three things that I felt by far the most compelled by um, early, early on um, because you could sort of start to see the transcending of – of the world. Like you could see where society was trying to get beyond linear. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, this is pre iPhone, right? So, yeah. so but you could day. feel that the iPhone was coming, mm-hmm. right? Because like the palm had happened, Blackberry had happened, all, you know, all these things had started to happen and they were all 800 to a thousand dollars. But humans are so amazing in the sense that when there's a great idea, someone always finds a way to bring it to the masses. So is passion, would you say that's maybe the most important thing for entrepreneurs or is there something else there? Like pick a subject that you could never, ever get tired of learning about, ever. And for me, like that subject is like media, um, technology, and content. That's like something that I'll talk about forever. Like Mm. it's not something I'll ever be like, I'm so sick of talking about these three things. So I think you have to pick something that you really could talk about for the next, like, 30, 40 years. And what, what mistake do you see the entrepreneurs make when they're starting out, especially female entrepreneurs? I feel like, first and foremost, we should be very comfortable to make mistakes. 
I think female entrepreneurs are very, very nervous about making mistakes. Um, every male entrepreneur I know, I mean, like, how many companies did Travis Kalanick start? You know, how many, how many, com- uh, you know, like, um, Stuart from the founder of Slack, like all of these founders, they have founded lots of other companies. You know, I doubt that uh, Elon Musk is sitting around being like, oh, man, like, market doesn't understand Tesla. Like, I'm really so much better than, like, than they understand me to be. <laughs> he's not, like, sitting there thinking, like, should I still do this? Like, he's not thinking that. He's not doubting himself. No. He's like, let me run three companies at the same time. Amazing. Right? Yeah. Um, innovative, groundbreaking um, ways of doing things. Um, I think, like, getting really good with failing is, like, step one. So, like, part, like, what should female founders know to avoid failure? Like, don't avoid failure. What's the biggest failure you think you've had in your career? Oh, my God. Hundreds and hundreds of things. Scaling too fast. That's definitely been a a shortcoming. Um, BeautyCon blew up very quickly early on, and I think we... um, blew up sort of in a little bit of a, the, um, a direction that is not a direction that I think was organic to who we wanted to be, which was going down the road of being a media brand. Um, but all of that, like when I look at that, I think like that was really important to the process. So I don't, I think, you know, like I think about the things I would do better. Like I think I would do better with hiring stronger leadership around me. I think that's every entrepreneur's dilemma is finding not just people who are great on paper, but but my I would say one thing for sure I would do again is hire people who are more culturally appropriate to the organization we're trying to build. That has been like definitely an area, and that's a real. There's a real shortage of that type of personality, but I feel like we've really f- solved for that and figured that out now. What do you say to women who want to have their own business but don't want to have to change their look to assimilate? The good news is there's a ton of high net worth capital available in the market right now because people are so nervous about the marketplace that family offices are very interested in putting their money outside of traditional investment avenues. So I think we're in a much better time now for women who want to truly be uniquely themselves. And I think that's like a whole genre of women. I think that there's a lot of different ways in which I'm seeing female entrepreneurship evolve. But I think um, the markets know that a female entrepreneur is more likely to succeed because she's less likely to quit. She knows they know that she's more convicted about the opportunities that she's been given. So they're deeply passionate to be fiscally oriented Um, and they they sort of stay in it longer. Right. So I think. Uh, the market knows that this is like a good person to invest into. Um, and still, somehow, we're still only 2% of all funding. Right, especially in yeah, minority women. 0.2%. Uh, even less, right? Point, I always like, whenever I've had like past, you know, partners or people be frustrated with me, I'm like, I am literally 0.2%. You have this expectation of me to like that I've got hundreds of years or decades of years of support and structure around what I'm doing. But like, you don't know anyone else that's doing what I'm doing. And I'm certainly not going to be perfect going about it the first time around. Um, You think about like, Reed Hastings, and you think about Mark Zuckerberg, and you think about Jess Bezos, and like you think about the the communities in which they have around them to help groom the success of that entrepreneur. Um, If you go to like, Goldman Sachs internet conference, go to any conference, right? It's just literally, which which I will say, outside of beauty. 
which is why I really love the beauty industry. Coming up, Moj Madara's advice for breaking the mold and staying true to yourself in business. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. So you have said that women get hazed for wanting to be wealthy. How have you been hazed? It's funny, like the, the, it's like if you're a successful, the room for women to be successful and own that success um, and to, to um, express the joy of their success. Um, you know, that women don't really do that. I'm sure Sheryl Sandberg is having like this incredible life, but like she's not going to show it to us because of the judgment she might be people might have about her who's who's judging you though i think that other women are very strong i mean women are by far the most guilty in the judging um because there's the hazing but then there's like the programming of the male gaze that we've all been programmed by that we don't even know that we're programmed by like the what do you mean by that you should be this is enough of an opportunity for you why should you want anything more than what you have and you've been told that. I think you've been told that. Oh, I think yeah. 100%. Correct. Yeah. I think you've been told that. Your yeah. friends have been told that. Your mom's been told that. Every woman in your life has been told, like, isn't this enough? Why should I have more? I think the threat of having more is so intense. Um, you know, it's a uh, Stockholm syndrome, right? Like, I'm happy where I am. That's like, lucky we're to be there. Lucky to be there, living through this like Instagrammable moment of like, I'm a girl bot, or I'm like, <laughs> a, I'm at this conference and it's so empowering. But you're like, how many people in this room know their credit score? How many people in this room have like a savings of more than a year? How many people in this room have an income property? How many in this people room are invested in a SEP IRA, defined benefits? How many people in this room are investing in bonds? What bonds are you investing in? Like, who's talking about this stuff? How come we're not, generally speaking, you think women aren't really into it? Why do you want to tell me about, like, what skincare you're using, but you won't tell me about, like, who's the greatest CPA you ever work with that helped you get b- bigger and better tax breaks? I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of firms, at least financial firms, are trying to figure that out. How do you get women excited about this stuff? They are excited about it, but we're petrified about losing and not being right and not being perfect and not... You know, I'm a part of I have like a couple of guy friends that I'm I'm really close with that are all really successful entrepreneurs and they do this dinner. It's like five or six guys and it's like a designer, a media um investor. Um they're all running, I would say, businesses that are like somewhere between fifty to two hundred million dollars in top line revenue, right? We go to this dinner and the dinner is what buildings can we buy together? Who's buying secondary, you know, pre-lift IPO? Um, it's about like, what deals did we pass on that we regret? No one. And, and, and it's wild to me, no matter how many of these conferences I go to for women, you're like, what are you working for? What is your idea of generational wealth? Um, how, how stable are you financially? And it's not something that women want to talk about because the expectation is that we're running on this like morality parade of like, um, we're not just trying to be successful. We're also trying to change the world. We're also be great mentors. We're also trying to be great sponsors. It's like guys' conferences are like, I'm here to see like who, how 
how long, how quickly can I, is it going to take for me to just be like incredibly successful? I think for some women, the word wealth is just intimidating or they think it's dirty or they think it's, I don't know. But why is it dirty? I I don't know. I mean, how did you, it seems like that wasn't your case. Okay. So how did, what did she teach you that? She's such a boss. My mom is such a boss. She's always been a boss. My parents have been married for almost 50 years. She, you know, she still has her own bank accounts. She still controls her own money. She runs a really successful um, commercial real estate firm. Uh, She's also a broker. She's also a lender. Um, But I mean, like, my mom came to this country with nothing, studied chemistry, went to real estate because she likes people and she's a transactional human being. Like, she just loves, she's like the art of the, she's like loves a deal. And, um, you know, I just think, I remember like, uh, she was always, she, she, my my parents were just, even though they were like completely homophobic, they were completely feminist at the same time. So like, that's the conundrum of my parents, right? Is they're totally feminist and totally, they were homophobic. The feminist piece of it was very fundamentally baked into the concept of like, you can do anything. And so, yeah, I mean, we talked about money in my house. We talked about real estate. We talked about, you know, did you file your taxes? Did you make sure that you got this incentive, that incentive? Like, they were, they always talked to us about it. What did you learn about money from Cardi B? Mm. What I learned about money from Cardi B, so many things. I think Cardi B is one of the most brilliant um, artists and communicators sort of in, in pop culture zeitgeist right now. Um, you know, I mean, this is a woman who saved $32,000 in singles. Um, I like the fact that she's super open and transparent about what she didn't know. I think her being very honest about uh, her her desire to want to learn more about finance, to learn more about the fact that she was transparent, like, I'm giving away 3 to 5% of my revenue on an annual basis because I couldn't manage my own finances. I think the amount of women I know who have put themselves in harm's way financially by letting their partners take out loans on homes that they didn't know about, to defer, to default on their taxes they didn't know about, to not really um, have authorship and control over their own finances from a responsible and accountable point of view, um, you know, when I heard that, I was like, wow. And I started to ask around, like, how many of my girlfriends who are married have had problems with their spouse around their, their financial choices and the things they've chosen to do? And it was pretty pretty much like 50-50. Um, I mean, including, like, people who had not paid their taxes, people who had defaulted on car payments, home payments, taken second lines of credit against their home and not told their partners and their wives. So, like, I think when I heard her talk about that, again, it just reminded me that, like, it's one thing to want equality. It's another thing to to step into the role of responsibility around that equality. It's like equality means, like, we have to show up. We need to know our credit scores. We need to know our wealth management plan. We need to know how we're going to invest. We need to know, you know, how we're managing our taxes. We need to know how to manage our investments. And I think putting that on someone else of, I have a guy for that. I have a girl for that. I have someone else in my life dealing with that. Um, You know, like one of the things I've gone around asking my friends recently is like, do you have a living will? Do you have a will? Do you have a trust? Are you setting things up for your family such that should anything ever happen to you that your family set up? Do you have disability program? So many of my girlfriends who are founders and entrepreneurs of these companies that are 
$200 million valuations, $500 million valuations. Like, they all have families. And, like, I realized after talking to them over the past few months, like, we all didn't have these plans in place. Our guy counterparts, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we Mm. said— we set that up so many years ago. So I think it's about asking those questions and being transparent and talking about it. I also really enjoyed the fact that Cardi said that anyone and everyone who had a social following of any kind was in a position to use social media to create side businesses for themselves. And I think having side hustles and having you know additional revenue opportunities for women is also really important. What's your big financial goal for yourself? What's my big financial goal? Well, BeautyCon is my big financial goal of growing this company as large as we can um, and stepping into what retail and experiences mean to society and redefining beauty. And, you know, we want to be worth multiple billions of dollars, which means I, in turn, will be worth a lot. I love it. And give us three predictions for the beauty industry. Ooh, three predictions for the beauty industry. Uh, Retail is not dead. Retail is just evolving and emerging into community centers and education centers. Um, I think that skin is huge. And I think skin is now a sign and a reflection of wellness. And uh, I, I call skin the new rich. Hmm. Right. How well you're doing, how well you're sleeping, what your joy factor is, is all about like your tonality of your skin Um, and global, global beauty, international beauty, beauty inclusive of ethnicities, um, not just black and white. Like I'm I think that there's such a huge opportunity on a global level. You know, I think about the modest movement throughout the Middle East um, coming to the forefront um, when I see what Huda's doing. Um, Those are three trends I'm paying attention to very, very closely. Time now for your secrets. I'm Moj Madara. My money secret is I like real estate and I only really buy what I need. I won't buy anything ever because it's like on sale. I hate like hoarding. Be sure to check out our ebook based on the Secrets podcast. WSJ subscribers can download their copy of Resilience, how 20 ambitious women use obstacles to fuel their success for free on WSJ.com today. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.